Okay, so how many times have you seen this story? Athlete X made X amount of dollars throughout their career, and now they don't have any of it anymore. And one of the people who is here to break that cycle or has been breaking that cycle for over 20 years is a guy that's joining us on the podcast today. This is a guy that, as Alan told me when he introduced him, this guy manages Steph Curry's money. Think about that for a second. Alan, I'm going to let you do the introductions for Agent Provocateur. All right. So our guest this week, this episode, is the Managing Director of Octagon Financial Services. He went to Middlebury College, where he, has a de- where he earned a degree in economics, uh, an MBA from New York University, and a master's in accounting. He's a certified financial planner, four years working at KPMG and American Express Bank, one of the founders of Octagon and the founder of Octagon Financial Services, which has become an industry leader managing the financial lives of over 250 of the top professional athletes from all over the world, Frank Zecca. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thanks for that, Alan. It sounds it sounds way better than it probably is, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. Well, you and I have been working together now for uh, closely for more than fifteen years, and uh, what you do is an integral part of the lives that goes into the lives of professional athletes behind the scenes. And it seems that uh, most of the time we hear about financial managers and athletes is when something hits the media in not a very good way. And uh, the, the great stories sometimes are not being told and not being told properly. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited and really happy to have you here today. So the first question I have for you is, uh, who are some of the athletes that you represent? So we, we work across all sports, all countries. Some of the, the bigger names that people would know are the Steph Curry's, like, like Adam said, um, Bill Cower on the broadcast and the coaching side, Chris Paul on the basketball side, and Michael Phelps on the swimming side. But the, those are all great names, and it's really, it's really cool. But the things that stand out the most to me, I've been doing this in small correction, a couple of corrections, Adam. One, it's been 30 years doing 30 this years. here. Um, so the, the coolest part about the job is we have had clients who have been clients for 30 years. So I started here at 27 years old and signed clients the first year I started working. And some of those players are still clients today. Obviously the salaries aren't what they are today, but those guys are still clients. I know their kids that they're, they're the money they saved is paid for their kids, college funds. Those kinds of things are what make the job super rewarding for me. And, um, back in the day, like I said, I, I, when I started in the business, um, the predecessor to Octagon was Advantage International. There were three firms um, that represent all, almost all the athletes in the world. Um, it was IMG, ProServe, and Advantage. And um, each one had a small financial planning group. And um, when I came in, I was like, okay, we have this. Let's see what we can do with it. If you fast forward 30 years and you're working with Steph Curry, but everyone forgets that I was working with Steph Curry's father, Dell, and his mother, Sonia, um, 30 years ago, which is, uh, which is a pretty cool, that, again, that's the coolest part of the story is you do the right thing every day for a long time and it works out. I'm, I'm so, out of Toronto. So, so that would be Toronto Raptor legend, Del Curry, by the way, just throwing that out there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So Frank, what motivated you, 
after working at uh, KPMG and, and American Express Bank to start working with athletes? So those, those jobs were great. The training I had, um, I played sports in college. I played football and lacrosse at, at Middlebury. Um, always, you know, my whole life, you know, being at, being athletic, not anything like athletic like our clients, but athletic. Um, and the accounting, Wall Street, that field has always been interesting to me after going to school. And then you started, I felt like there was an there was a underserved community, which sounds crazy that you think professional athletes are underserved, but there was no financial planning for professional athletes. There are, there's no financial planning for young kids today who make between, you know, $20,000 and $150,000. None of the big wirehouses want to work or, or provide access to those people. So I grew up in an era where you heard about all the athletes going broke and you heard things doing it wrong. I, was, I just called, I called all the teams in New York where I was living at the time. And I called, it was the, the Rangers, the Islanders, the the Mets, the Yankees, the Giants. I said, "Hey, you guys have these players. What are you doing to to help them? There must be something. I have a you know, I have these finance degrees. I'm an accountant. I'd love to help." There was no takers, and then luckily, I had three or four friends that work at Advantage from college who were on the marketing side, and they said, "You know, this firm is doing you know doing some tax work and has access to the athletes and paying the bills. Why don't you come down here?" And then I visited and said, "This is going to be great." It was, and to go back to what you said earlier, Alan. I do not do a lot of press, haven't done a lot of press in my job because everybody who ever calls me wants to hear the nightmare stories. And I want, I, my whole life has been about dispelling that it has to be that way, that there is a better way to do it. And let's hold up the, the good stories, the guys who've done it right versus the ones who, but there's, I guess there's no clickbait in that or it's not, in, it's, it's not in press. So I, I've been a proponent of getting on the soapbox and saying, there's a way to do this. There's a way to use your athletic um, your athletic talents and your money as a springboard versus it having it to be a crush. And that's how I've spent the last 30 years of my life. Can you demystify a little bit exactly what you do with players? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I, and I'd like to ask you to, to do that for me. But, um, <laughs> so I, I, think that, I think that the job has evolved. Like our, our tagline is sort of plan, protect, win. So I feel like we are coaches and planners and mentors we have a huge staff we have 18 people in our group um i have some great people that work you know alan in your hockey space you know the the chris legs of the world the matt williams of the world the cara jacobson's it's, it's amazing what these people do um the, the investing of the money the um the doing the tax returns that technical side of it can happen there's a lot of people who can do it i think the most important thing we do is the planning and the protecting of the athletes' assets and providing context to where they're going. I never, when I was 27, I never thought I'd manage anybody that had a million dollars. When I was 30, I never thought I'd manage anyone who had five million. Now I never thought I'd imagine anyone who had a hundred million. My job was always to be two to three years ahead of where the athlete was, um, knowing where they were going. And one of our, a great, um, one of our, a really one client who I really respect and have a great relationship with for a long, long time. He was the fifth round pick of, um, in baseball and he's actually Canadian. So he, uh, you know, single A baseball, I met him and his wife. He was making probably $500 a month. I met him at Starbucks and he's been a client forever and he's got a lot of money. His kids are doing great. He had an all-star career. I asked him, why are you with us so many years after the fact? And what he said was, there's three things. One, I trust you. You've been there since the beginning. And I don't know how I would trust somebody now with all this money. The second thing he said is, um, I've never been to a place, a meeting, a conversation, 
where someone's talked about something financial, whether that has, happens to be a, a college fund, an IRA account, um, a budget, whatever it happened to be. He said, I never heard anything said that you didn't do for me or have talked to us about, which I thought was really intuitive on his part. And the third one, which is what we try to, what we base our planning on is, he said, I was spending my whole career thinking about today and your job for my family was thinking about tomorrow and 10 years from that now. And I thought that if we told those three things constant throughout the, our whole client um, roster, whether that's someone who's starting out making five, 600,000 or someone making $40 million a year, if you hold those three things close and you make that your job, I, it's a win for everybody. So that, 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 that's, the, that's really what we do. On the detail side, Alan, to get into it for some of the viewers or Adam that you don't know, we are opening up bank accounts, getting credit cards, buying a car. If someone buys a house, if, if you ask some of our clients, how do you buy a house? They say you call Frank or any of the team. Um, it, it, we're paying their, so the utility bills come to our office and we pay the bills for their houses. If a player, wow. and Alan's had this happen all the time, and he told a great story the other day. Um, when Marty was on one of the, the prior episodes of this podcast, like when Mar Marty had like a traded and signed a new contract, like we handle that move. We take a player from the city they're in and we make sure them, their families and everything gets to their new city and they get set up. The feeling has always been, Adam, like the feeling for us has always been, if we could take care of everything outside the lines or the boards or the court, whatever you want to define the sport mm -hmm. and the player concentrates on what they're doing and they have a good team around them they'll be way more successful than worrying about um, some of the details. So we try to be, we try to be a family office, a coach, a mentor, the details to, to all the clients we can. That's a lot of scope for 18 people and a lot of athletes for 18 people. Like, you know, that, that's a pretty tall order. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people guys, and, and I, this question is going to be for both of you because as the fan, I'm the fan element on this show. Right. And what I see when a contract is signed, let's, let's bring Marty Havlat into it. That was a three-year deal, six million a year. So it's three years, 18 million bucks. And what we see is, wow, that's $18 million. That's a, that's a lot of money. That's great. Especially, you know, where the NHL was at the time. Um, I, I mean, that is a, that's a, a significant amount of money. But what people don't see is, A, first off, that's spread out over three years. But there are costs associated with that beyond, you know, your normal taxes and that sort of thing. When an athlete sees that number, do they see the same 18 million? And is it hard to pull them back from, hey, don't go crazy right away on this one because you got tomorrow to think about? Yeah, I, I think that's all about education. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact is between taxes and escrow, an NHL player, and I'll just stick to hockey for now, will actually take home approximately $300,000 on every million dollars of face value of contract, right? So a wow. million dollars a year in your contract is actually $300,000. And that's a huge amount of money and a huge amount of money for uh, many people to, to, to comprehend. But this is what uh, really, to me, the most important thing people have to remember the average career of an NHL player who plays more than 100 games in the NHL, more than 100 games, is 4.25 years, right? So you start playing hockey at five, six, seven years of age. You play hockey your entire life up to a certain point. And whether you're 30 or 31, or if you're fortunate enough to play until you're 34 or 35, but what if you're just 27 or 28? 
uh, and hockey is over. And now, you know, you have to plan during your career to make enough money and to plan for retirement and how you're going to maintain uh, a, a standard of living, um, keep paying the bills and, and allow for, you know, kids who are going to go to schools and ultimately go to college down the road. And how are you going to live the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. And that's really where, where, where Frank comes in. And, and we've always worked very closely together as a team sitting in front of the player. You know, I tell the player from the first day he signs his first pro contract, it's not how much money you make during your career. It's how much money you have left when you retire. That's the number. That's the number you need to be focused on. Who has the most at the end wins. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, and and Adam, like, it's it's really enchanted. Alan and I have been working together for a long time, and Alan was gracious enough. His passion for how he represents his players is the same thing that myself and the staff have on our side of the business. And, and Alan was good enough, but going back to Marty, when Marty signed that contract in Chicago, I had not met Martin Havlott. I had never been to the Czech Republic. Um, but Alan said, you need to go to Chicago. He has a large contract. I would like you to go have a conversation and talk about these things. And I flew there, introduced myself in his apartment um, with his fiance at the time, who's now his wife, or maybe they were married. Um, yeah. And I went through the first two hour, two hours of like, hey, this is what you have. This is what it means forever. And going back to his story, when I probably 19, I don't know, in the 90s sometime, I, I met with a, a first overall pick in the NFL. And this is going back to your point, Adam. Every newspaper in the world said that he signed a $60 million contract, right? The actual guarantee of the contract was a $15 million bonus. So it wasn't 60. Mm. It was actually 15. And after it was 15, if you take the taxes and whatever fees out, you're down to seven or $8 million. Part The way that payment was paid was five payments, $3 million over two years. So I was sitting with the player. And again, young, 20-year-old, really nice guy. The the, the press conference, the, the GM hands him the envelope with his $3 million signing bonus. He opens the envelope up. I'm sitting next to him. He goes, he goes hey, this is not right. And we look at it and it says 1.935587. He's like, I thought I was getting 3 million. I'm like, welcome to income taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but like if you've never had a job or have never received a paycheck or never gotten a W2, you just don't know those things. So it was actually, an, I, and it, those experiences for me helped to create how I present the job and how I talk to athletes later on. Cause it's like, okay, wait, they don't know that. So let's start that on the front end. And the, the, the main thing to do for any player, they all aspire to be great. Um, so they all aspire where salaries are. You can kind of guess, player will have a couple million dollars. But if you, had five, if you could save $5 million and you make 4% on that, like conservatively, okay, that's $200,000 a year for the rest of your life. So in order to make five, put away $5 million, you have to make 10, which means you're not spending anything. So if you're going to put away $5 million, you have to make probably 15 to have 5 million saved after a house or a car. So you start doing the math for these guys and it gets very evident on why you should go work out and concentrate on hockey and let your team 
do your support around the outside. Wow. Wow. So, you know, sorry, go ahead, Frank. I don't want to interrupt. Oh, no, I, and I was going to say, and the most, sometimes the families, the friends, the press, everyone keeps saying, you signed for 60 million, you signed for 60 million, you signed for 60 million. And I'm on the other side saying, we're going to be lucky to get three or four or five million dollars put away. So your whole pro, your whole career as a professional athlete, if you make $15 million, comes down to about a $200,000 salary every year for the rest of your life, which is a great, great, great salary, op- great opportunity. Now, it's not- I, it struck me, Alan, when you said, okay, for every million dollars, the take home for an NHL player specifically is about 300 grand. Right. Can you break down, guys, where that, because I, I know people are listening to this going, how is that possible? Where, where's this money going? Well, you've got uh, in in the U.S. Uh, thirty. Uh, what's the top uh, tax rate right now? Thirty-seven percent. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got state income tax. Uh, this year, escrow is seventeen point five percent off the top as well. Uh, now, if you go into Canada, between uh, federal and provincial taxes, uh, it can come up to being fifty-five, fifty-six, even fifty-seven percent. Before the deductions of escrow. There it is right there. Wow. Unbelievable. And and so, okay, I'm going to put you guys in a, in a scenario here where you're working a tag team. And I this is going to be hard to believe because I'm going to make myself the high-end professional athlete uh, that just got an enormous contract. I know by the looks of me, I look like a professional athlete, someone who's very in shape. But let's let's say I've just signed what equates to be, and it doesn't matter what sport, I've signed for a lot of money. I got a three or four year contract. It pays me a, a boatload of cash. It's a big jump up from what I was making before. Um, and I don't know if we need a specific number, but I'm the kind of guy who kind of wants to f- flash it a little bit. I, I want to buy myself a nice car. Like I've worked my whole life. I've given up birthdays and Christmases to be at the rank. What do you say? What's on day one that that contract is signed? And, and Frank, you seem like a really uh, fun guy. I've seen Alan lay down, down the law before. As, as fun as Alan is, I know Alan can get tough. I don't know if you have to get the same kind of tough with these guys. But how do you say to them, wait a second, I know you're enjoying this, but, but hold on and, and, and listen to this. How's that conversation gone in the past for you? I take the educational coaching approach and I, and I, if I really need the hammer. I call Alan to get really neat. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, and he's not they, joking. He is no. not joking. <laughs> but I read, a, there was a, um, Greg Norman wrote a book. I, uh, the, maybe the way of the shark. I can't quite remember the name, but there was an interesting, a really interesting formula in that book about business. And this goes to financial planning for anybody who's listening to this or any athlete or really anyone starting out. It goes 30, 30, 30, 10. So if you think of every thousand dollars or a hundred thousand or a million as 30% to savings, Mm -hmm. 30% to living expenses, 30% to taxes and 10% to whatever you want to reward yourself. So if a client has a million dollars and they want to go spend $100,000 on a couple of watches or a down payment for a house for a mother, whatever it is, that 10% is factored in. As long as you're doing things, and what I try to when working with players, as long as you do things in context for what you're making, it is fine. Um, we try to, it's like, kind of, it's like raising children. You pick your battles. I do believe that these guys have worked so hard in hockey, whether it's junior and if it's you know, basketball at university or football, whatever it is, the minor leagues and baseball is such a grind. So when these guys get somewhere, you have to reward yourself with something. And I try to, Herm Edwards, um, 
has a great thing, one of everything. So if you're, I think it's one vice. If you, if you like cars, then buy yourself cars. If you like clothes, do the clothes thing. If you want art, do the art thing or watches and try to just identify the players. So they understand like, okay, you can go spend money, pick your thing. But for every, for every dollar you spend on something to reward yourself, I want you to save $3. And those, that math usually works across kind of across the board. Maybe when you get to a, a Steph Curry or some of these bigger players, you can't really, you know, you shouldn't be spending 30% of what you make on living, but those numbers work for most professional athletes and they understand the context. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, then we suppose these guys are all, they're pro athletes, right? They, they've achieved everything in their lives. They, they, they work hard. They have schedules. They have itineraries. When they work out, there's metrics. So we just try to put everything in terms they understand. So we set goals for them. We, I'll, I'll say to players, I bet you can't save $1.2 million this year. And, <laughs> and they'll find themselves, they'll find themselves calling you halfway through the year. How am I doing? Am I there? Am I there? And they'll say, if you save 1.2, you know, you, I'll let you go buy your next old school car, whatever it is. And like the goal is to get them to save. And then, yeah, you just pick your spots, but it's fun. Yeah. But what you do, Frank, that is, is so valuable is being able to sit with the players at the beginning of a season or at the beginning of a contract and lay out the cash flow and setting of goals mm. so that a player it's constantly because players are certainly concerned about, you know, their futures and the futures of their families. And if you give them a plan with goals and it's like, this is where you need to be at the end of year one. And this is where you need to be at the end yeah. of year two. And the players are meeting with Frank on a regular basis to check up on how they are doing versus what the plan is. That's motivating in and of itself. And that's a critical part of keeping players on track. It's also the, the awareness of seeing it. In other words, we, the cadence of the client experience and the career arc, you know, start out not making much, get really good, make a lot. What we do. So before the season, like Alan said, our staff will put together a plan, a cash flow plan for the year for what it's going to, your bills, how much you can save, how much is being made. The constants are taxes. We know what their contracts are. Alan does great contracts, right? So we know how much they're getting paid. Um, we know how much is left to save and to spend. So we show that in the beginning of the year, middle of the year, when they come through DC or we make our trips, we'll see players talk about maybe their will or their tax return, or they're buying a house, um, whatever the detail is. At the end of the year, we just do a recap. Hey, you wanted to put away 1.2 million. You only put away 1.1. But you know what? You helped your parents with a down payment for a house for themselves, which is a, one of the coolest things in my life, in my job, is when I see a player provide a home for a mother and father that they've not had a home. And you see that happen based on the hard work. It's, super, it's great to be around. If we can make that possible by a little bit of planning and doing it the right way versus letting these guys get taken advantage of, it's, just, it's super rewarding. For as, as hard as the job is, it's a really cool feeling to be around. So let me ask you, what do you think are the most common mistakes that athletes make uh, in, in their day-to-day -day lives that impact uh, your financial plans? It, it, the, the, the two ones that stand out, um, it's, uh, it's I'll save on my next contract, mm. which I got, I, like Alan said, at 3.8 years, 4.2, whatever the number is, it's very low. We tend to have recency bias in that the news is talking about like, a Steph Curry or, or a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady. The stars play a really, really long time. Most of the professional sports leagues do not. So you can't wait for the second contract. So many, I've seen 
I have undrafted players that have millions and millions of dollars that have played 10 years in pro sports. I have first round picks that have played two or three years. And like, you don't know what's going to happen. The, what's ever unpredictable is predictable. Um, so you can't wait for the next contract. The other one that more recent because of the internet, social media, private equity investing, um, FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm. Um, they, they, players like they, they chase the hot dot. They, they forget the, the principles of how you invest and what long-term savings and what the savings are designed to be. Um, my feeling for that is like, let's stick to the plan. And if you want to be rich, really, really rich, you have to work really hard and become a free agent. There's no investment out there. Uh, well, Silicon Valley potentially, but that's a Silicon Valley entrepreneur is no different than professional athlete. They're very similar, but there's no better investment for an athlete than to work really hard get to free agency and sign a huge contract. I cannot provide those returns that an athlete can provide for themselves. My job is to keep wealthy people wealthy, not to take average earners and turn them into rich people. Okay. And, and, and I, I have to ask you guys a couple of things because there's things that come up as a fan that you ask yourself about. One of the things lately that's been a hot button issue, and Alan, I'm sure you'll roll your eyes when, uh, when I bring up that the owners don't want this anymore in the NHL, uh, which is signing bonuses. And specifically, if we look at, and this is not one of Alan's clients, so I'm, I'm just going to speak offhand, but when John Tavares signed in Toronto, he signed a contract that essentially pays him his bonus up front, and then he makes league minimum the rest of the season. And uh, some of these guys, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, are front-loading their contracts to get as much money as possible up front and then towards the end of the contract, even though they know they'll get a second deal, barring some career-ending injury. And knock on wood, we're hoping that doesn't happen. Um, what is the advantage to front-loading a contract, even though you're a star, even though you know uh, chances are there'll be a second contract? What's the advantage to getting all that money up front. I'm going to let the time value of money. Yeah. I'm going to let Alan answer this because there's a, there's a, by sport, it's different why you would do it. And the reason in hockey, that's non-financial, I would think Alan, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when you uh, are paid out signing bonus, it's critical to know that signing bonus cannot be bought out. Okay. Right. So if you're getting $10 million a year and you're getting $9 million a year in signing bonus and a million dollars a year salary, and you get bought out, you're getting the entire $9 million payment and the buyout will only apply to the $1 million salary. So basically by structuring a deal like that, you've made that contract buyout proof because the team will get absolutely, literally zero cap relief by effectuating a buyout makes no reason, no sense to do it. And, and that's why those deals are structured like that in hockey. And what do you guys do when something like, again, let's go back. I'm a, I'm a professional athlete. I'm a big deal. And I sign an endorsement contract. So I'm endorsing bread or I'm endorsing coffee or I'm endorsing a sports drink. Does, how does that factor into the financial planning? Do the same principles apply Obviously, there's probably more take-home pay with that, right? Those get that gets confusing because salary is W W two T for income when there's withholding. In other words, the taxes are taking out the source. So you get if the tax rate's fifty percent and someone's paying you hundred dollars, you get fifty dollars. The endorsement contracts are just paid uh, directly to the player as a self-employed individual. 
-hmm. So they get a, the gross amount, the $100 comes as $100. So we actually have to plan and say, okay, it's great that you have that money, but next April in the US, you're going to have to pay tax on that money. So you can't have it all. We got to keep some of it back to pay your taxes. Um, when a player is lucky enough to have endorsements, um, harder in hockey, um, more prevalent, obviously, in basketball and tennis and golf. Um, what we try to do is connect income streams to expenses or to lifestyle. So if, if I had a player that had five endorsement deals for different, amount, different amount, amounts of money and salary, and let's say, I would say, you're going to put, and I did this for Kirk Heinrich is a basketball player mm -hmm. uh, from Kansas, played four years at Kansas, an unbelievable NBA player, been a longtime client. His deal early on when he came out of Kansas, he had a, a, was making enough money on his shoe deal where we said, you're going to live on your sneaker deal from, I believe it was Congress at the time. You're going to live on that and we're going to save your whole rookie NBA salary. And he bought into it, and that's exactly what we did. So you can have another player where Alan and I share a player that makes um, endorsement money, and hockey doesn't have the, 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 the gross amount of money that is in basketball. But you basically say, hey, you're going to do these dates. You're going to do these deals. You're going to make this extra money. That's yours, man. Do what you like. Enjoy yourself. If you want to go spend the two days shooting the commercial or doing the appearance, you deserve that. Other players were like, all right, you want to help your family out? Do this endorsement deal. And if you do this endorsement deal, that money can be directed to helping out your family get, you know, get to where they need to get. So we just direct it and use it. The nice thing, which most people know, is a lot of the, the athletes, the money goes directly to accounts like a direct deposit, like a lot of listeners and people, they don't actually see the money. Most of the players have very little money when they go to the ATM machine and they put their card in to get, get their money. They don't see $50 million <laughs> Hey, that's not how it works. <laughs> they, they, they're living off of, of that. And I, we try to tell players like, look, if you live great, go to any player. And I, I, I've seen Alan do this. You're making $2 million, right? You're living great. Players like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I was playing in the juniors four years ago and now I'm making $2 million. All right. You sign a free agent deal for $6 million a year. You have to change your life. Live like you were living. Just because you're making more money doesn't mean you need to change everything you're doing. That just mm -hmm. means you can save more for later on and give yourself options. So, Finding that sweet spot of we don't want them living like when they were playing juniors, making whatever it is down seventy thousand dollars. But you know you don't need to increase your lifestyle every time you make more money, which is no different than myself, you guys, or any of the listeners. Like you get to a certain point, like enough's enough. Like you can stay in your house, you can still have that car. You don't have to upgrade every time you make a little bit more money. Wow, exactly. Well, it's it's you know it's what makes it tough, guys. And I'll tell you from my generation is that you know Instagram exists. So we have, you, you mentioned it earlier, Frank, but it's, it's Instagram existed. It's like, well, you see all these all the time. You're barraged with people having fun at parties, people wearing expensive things. You know, I think Cardi B and her husband like to give each other like a million dollars cash every birthday. Although I guess that's like taking money from one pocket and putting it in the other pocket. But, you know, it's, and I never thought, by the way, that I'd be on a podcast with you guys talking about Cardi B, but here we are. I, uh, I want... <laughs> it, it must be, it must be a challenge from time to time to, to say to these guys, listen, I know you're here and you're at that, but that is still that aspirational money. It's first off it's show. Second, we're fighting against the same thing that everybody else is fighting against, which is not everybody is living that way all the time. Right. Even when you yeah. do have the money. So, um, the locker room is tough. Like you're, yeah. 
arguably, arguably, like no matter which you make as a person in the world, you're living in a neighborhood and everyone's fairly similar. Like Beverly Hills, they're all in Beverly Hills. You know, my neighborhood, we're all in my neighborhood. Like whatever it is, it's fairly similar. A locker room can go from someone making half a million dollars to someone making $40 million, like in a, in a, you know, 40 by 40 spot. There was a lot of pressure on the players driving into a parking lot. You know, you yep. should, you've seen some of these parking lots, like with these players, like they're all doing this. Um, again, it comes down to context and when and where I've had to tell players a lot of time. They're like, well, I really want to have this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, then play as good as that player. And you can have that, that and that. Like, um, that's pretty, Frank, that's harsh. That's tough. Well, it, it, sometimes it's not playing as good. Sometimes it's the, it's where the player is in their career. In other words, you could be, so I go back to, it's not a client, but Derek Jeter was the MVP of the league making $500,000 or rookie of the year. He was one of the best players on the Yankees, but there was guys on the Yankees that he, that he just had to wait for his time. Mm-hmm. Alan, and I just talked about it the other day. I had a player a few years ago that wanted to buy a, um, wanted to buy a Ferrari, totally could afford it, should have bought it. There was no reason for him not to have it. Um, he wanted to buy it a year before that he was going to sign his big contract. Still had the money, it would have been fine. We just talked about it. We was like, you know what? Maybe you wait. Maybe you like wait till you sign the deal and show people how to do it, that the money's there and it's been inked and it's been and it's been done. And that's what the player decided to do. He decided to wait until he knew. Um, and it was it wasn't a no, it was like showing a showing a player how to do things the right way. You gave them how young they are and how, and those things like you said on how influence they're about what's going on around them. So our job is like say, it, my job has become a coach, like there's technical side of it, but it's really become a coaching context job. A life coach. Yeah. 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 That, so, so Frank, how much has the business changed over the 30 years that, that you've been managing athletes? The, the money, like the money that they make has created created a lot of um, fast wealth with no, without a lot of, um, without a lot of guardrails in place. Um, the other thing I would say is when I started, there was very few people who did it. Um, it was a very um, small group of people who are helping athletes. Now, everywhere you go, I think some sports have more registered agents than they do players. Um, I think that the, the, the internet and the social media and the things like that and that you were talking about has changed a lot because there's more about investing. You hear Kobe Bryant's investment in um, body armor made him $60 billion. Well, I, who knows if that's, that's what's reported. So everyone wants to follow those things. So the chasing of the hot dot again and the internet has changed. I do think though that because of the internet and social media and things and the money, the athletes today are more aware of their wealth and they're taking more steps to do it the right way. And they're seeking out the right guidance again, because they're making more money, the Goldman Sachs the Morgan Stanley's people, there, there are resources out there for the athletes to go to. It didn't used to be that way. I also like, you know, we've grown so much that with our client base, we have 250 clients in all the different sports, our access to finding out who's doing it right, how we can get into this private equity deal, um, all the different agents um, in the world, the Alan Walsh's of the world that we're able to work with and surround ourselves with, there weren't that many. And now there's, there's, there's some, you know, there, there's some really good people doing really good things for athletes. And the fact that our, our, our client base has given us exposure to 
all the different firms, all the different agents, all the different players in the different sports makes us better in providing the advice to the players. So that that knowledge that's been out there, Alan, and the the, the more sort of take away the, the, the stories that are terrible about the athletes going broke, um, those, those there, there's more for the athletes to, uh, to learn. It makes our job a little bit easier. It's a little bit harder. They want to do more, but it's easier because they know more and they understand what could go wrong. Um, I, I wonder, um, <laughs> this is going to sound like a ridiculous question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you guys ever seen the show Ballers with Dwayne The Rock Johnson? He's a player yeah. agent. Sure. He's, so a, he's, a, he's a money manager. He's a money man. Right. Right. So one of the things, and I, I, I wondered, cause it, it, within the first, I think the first 60 minutes of the show, uh, one of the athletes at a party he's at is talking about how they bought a, a car and it's probably a Ferrari. And he said, why did you buy that? You should have leased it. Um, you know, something like that. Is that, is that the kind of advice? First off, is that true? If you've got an enormous amount of money, is it better to just lease the, the high-end car that you really want? Yeah. It, it, there's so many variables that like, the real, I'll give you a real life example. We have a, a very, uh, a very high end basketball player that likes cars. Right. But you know, they have multiple cars, you know, two, two or three. Um, and when you're doing, in my opinion, when you're doing sort of the, he, he also gets bored of cars. Like he has a car for a year or two and gets rid of it. So I, the rule of thumb is if you have a car less than three years, lease it more than three years, but there's other various more than three years kind of buy it. I made a deal with him going back to that 30, 30, 30, 10 thing. I was like, look, you're going to play 10 years. I go, I'm going to, you can spend this amount of money on a lease of a car, do five, two year leases of the nicest cars you ever could imagine and do that. And you, and over the 10 years, you'll have five of the best cars in the world. And we know what the cost is going in and we accounted and provided for that cost. So amazing. That's how you do it. But we, do, there's some things that aren't purely financial. Again, if I go back to NYU and business school, they'd say, don't do that. But mortgages, if a player is lucky enough to sign a huge contract, we tend to pay off their house over the course of their long-term contract. Mm, right. Uh, if we know they're going to stay there. And most people say, well, you don't have to do that. You're borrowing money at 2% or 3%. You know, leave the mortgage high, invest the money and make more. Okay. I can't guarantee I'm going to make more. Like no one really knows that. I right. mean, I, I don't have any ego. I mean, I think I can, but I don't know I can. And my feeling is if things go south in the career, or if things go south in the market for three or four or five years or whatever it is, if an athlete owns a house in a great neighborhood with great school system and for their kids, and maybe you have to have no Ferraris for a while, but you have a house that you own, I think that's the first thing for these guys is like have a place to live that you know that you own that and that's the first asset. If things go really bad, and again, in career and the markets or their investments, if you have a $2 million house paid off, Worst case, sell it for $2 million, put a million in the bank and buy a million-dollar house. So sell it and put $1.5 in the bank and have a $500,000 house. So it's that first sort of rung of creating long-term wealth is kind of own the asset. Not exactly financially, you know, as far as returns go, correct. But I think for professional athletes, I think it matters. Right. And that's why it's so different working with professional athletes than you know, yeah. wealthy CEOs who are going to be working for 30, 40 years earning a lot of money over a longer, much longer period of time. And what we've always preached to players was planning on retirement, uh, retiring with zero debt or as little debt as possible and retiring with a huge mortgage balance and the, the cash flow goes down to almost zero 
is, is not sound retirement planning. So while you have the money coming in, uh, you know that whatever the interest rate is on the mortgage, as you're paying it off, that's basically your return. And mm-hmm. it's guaranteed and locked in and you hold and you own the asset. And that's always the better way to go. Yeah. And the difference between that and the difference between like workers in regular workforce and a professional athlete is the professional athlete has retirement plans and pensions and all this great stuff that kicks in at 59, 62 at that range. Mm-hmm. Their career is going to end it. A blessed career would be 35 for a professional athlete. So there's a huge gap. So we, we view it OFS. Our role is to fill that gap between you and your career ends and when the retirement benefits can kick in. Um, that's very different than the average person. Like for me, I've been lucky enough where um, my kids are done with college. I may, I, I've had that steady career where I've made a little bit more money every year at being 55 years old. My expenses mostly are behind me. Mm. An athlete retires from professional sports with a uh, wife and children. When they retire or a husband and children, if it's a, it's a, if it's a, it's a female athlete, all their expenses are ahead of them. Most mm. of my players have put their kids through college when they were done playing. They weren't right. working. It's a very different way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, guys, because, uh, again, from the fan perspective, you think, wow, there's all that money. What do you have to worry about? Like, what is there to worry about? You guys got it. You're fine. You're set. I mean, I could work my whole life and not make that kind of money altogether added up. And I, I wondered, um, I wondered too, because Alan, you've talked about this on Twitter a few times, and it's a question that, uh, that I think a lot of people wonder about, especially as it pertains to Canada, because we have a higher tax rate here. It's just plain and simple. And province to province, it can vary wildly, where I think in Alberta, it's like income taxes like 10%. Quebec, it's much higher. Ontario is much higher. There is a, uh, uh, a rumor out there and a bit of a misnomer from what I understand that playing in Canada means you make less money overall because of the tax situation, because Canada's taxes are higher overall. Alan, you have mentioned in the past, if I'm not mistaken, on Twitter, that that is not true if money is managed properly. Is, am I getting that right? And how do you do that? Well, it's a little bit um, more uh, complicated than that. There are... Um vehicles that exist in Canada. Uh, One of them is a retirement compensation agreement or RCA, where a player will be able to uh, dedicate up to 50% of his salary and signing bonus in any given year into a trust, what amounts to a trust. Um, And at the end of the day, you can factor in uh, the amount of taxes paid because it's um, before tax money that goes in mm-hmm. and the effective tax rate when the player takes that money out will be around 25% of the entire balance of the, of the account. And there's a refundable tax account uh, portion of that as well that's held back by uh, Revenue Canada. Uh, what I, what we're going to do, Adam, is we're going to have somebody on, uh, in the future, we're going to do an entire episode on retirement compensation agreements and what it means for a player to sign as a free agent with a Canadian based team versus a U.S. based team, uh, particularly a team with no state income tax like Florida, Vegas, uh, Nashville and so forth. And we're going to break it down for everyone and demystify that particular question 
Okay. Um, but Frank has got experience with RCAs. You work with players in Canada who have them. You're integral in setting them up. Maybe you want to give a Coles Notes version uh, that might be a little bit uh, uh, more precise than I just gave. No, I think that was perfect. I would, I would actually just re- reiterate Please consult your local tax advisor and <laughs> but but you yeah. can keep you can keep a, a relatively yeah. same amount of money. It's not like an enormous loss or something like that. I think the bigger I think the bigger issue, and again, this is further conversation, again, not super technical. And Alan, I don't know if you've ever brought this up. I don't understand how the salary caps aren't equated if for a Florida team and a New York team. In other words, if you're in when I'm a, when I have a player leaving California and going to Texas and basketball or whatever it is, we do an analysis of, you know, for the agent, we say, hey, look, you can get, if you get the same money and the, again, the player has to want to go to the other team, then never would I tell a player to go do something just for, to save taxes. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that factor in the coach, the team, how they fit in, where they want to live, their family, but you should provide the player like $100 million in California is not the same as $100 million in Texas or in Florida or in the state of Washington. They're right. cracking the new, the new hockey team. I mean, the state of Washington has no income taxes. So if yeah. you're playing in New York, if you're playing for the Rangers, um, that's a big difference. And for the GMs to make those offers, I'm not even sure how, again, Alan can speak more to this, but we do, you know, it, it makes a huge difference. 10% additional tax versus zero just in the U.S. or from state to state. Especially when you factor in the long-term nature of a deal when you jump from one team to the other, if you're doing it as a free agent. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, and and I guess I guess uh, last here because Frank, we've taken up a lot of your time, and and I know Alan will will want to will want to let Frank get back to his job. But um, you know, Frank, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, and I think it's really important that we talk about this. We don't have to mention names, but Frank and Alan, this question is for both of you. Success stories. Is there a, a highlight in your career? For a player, again, you don't have to mention names, where you thought afterwards, man, we did right by them. This is why this is working. And, and it's something that you're, you, you kind of can hang your hat on. I, yeah, I mean, I, the one is going to be super boring, but I think it's very, it's very impactful for the conversation. And I'll give you one that's a little, less, a little less boring. I'll try to make it brief. The first one was there was a player of early in my career as a football player from Stanford. Was the... Fourth round pick uh, that year, he was the first player cut, like the how, how do you put it? the earliest in the round, the earliest pick that was cut that year. Okay. So he had a hundred forty thousand dollars signing bonus ish. Um, didn't make the team. Tried to come back next year. Didn't make the team. He parlayed that signing bonus into um, a car. He went back to school and got his degree. Um, he bought a condo near where the school was, and that condo is he still owns it today. And he became the sports information director of the university that he went to, and he used some of the money to help pay for his brother's education. So, as <laughs> opposed to just as opposed to just coming out signing with a team, thinking I'm going to sign a ten year deal, he never played in the NFL, like and wow. used it for that. So that's the springboard versus the crutch. The other one is. Um, all the players that we have a number of players that Alan and I worked with together. I've worked with in other sports that we worked from the day they got drafted and then they got through their careers. And some are assistant coaches right now. Some are broadcasters right now. And they're doing that job 
and they were able to stop playing. I think most of the guys could, could have played or hung on another year. Our jobs provide options. They didn't want to play anymore. Their bodies were breaking down. They really want to do the next thing in life or the next calling. And if you can go, I, I always joke with the players, if you want to go be a high school gym teacher and whatever that salary is, but if you put away the money we're telling you to put away, you could be making $300,000 being a high school gym teacher, right? <laughs> um, and, or if you want to be a high school football coach or a, a junior hockey coach, whatever it is. So we have a number of players that have used, played 10, 15 years, not the names, not the, the Stephen Curry's and the Tiger Woods and the people who are all with millions and millions and millions of dollars. But guys who had nice careers that have parlayed into their next careers and they have their houses paid for, their college, kids' colleges paid for. And there's too many to name, but that, it, those are the success stories and it's possible. So I try to get out there and use those players as mentors for the young guys. In our, in, in, at OFS, we'll, we'll connect the young player with an older player. And Marty Havla, again, going back to the prior podcast you guys did, he's a great resource for that. Marty is living a great life in Florida with cars and playing golf and tennis and raising his kids. And, you know, he has, I mean, he can work if he wants to. He's just chosen not to work since his career ended. That's because of what he did while he was playing. And Marty didn't shoot himself from some fun either. He had nice cars. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can do an episode where we just explore his garage. He's a big car guy, so that would be very cool. <laughs> yeah, remember I told you one vice, Adam? That's, yeah, that's Marty's one vice. <laughs> okay, that'd be mine too if I had that kind. Uh, Alan, what would you, do you have a success story that kind of sticks out to you when it comes to the finances? To, to me, uh, I, I take such great pleasure when I connect with the player uh, that we represented during his career in retirement, uh, stay in touch with all of them, go into a city and the players there, go in and see them, uh, you know, go to the house, have lunch together and, and see them thriving and happy uh, in retirement. That to me, I, I come away with such a feeling of accomplishment and joy and pride when I go visit uh, a, a retired player who's got now two, three kids and uh, he's, you know, well, two o'clock, let's go. We'll go pick up the kids from school and wait in the car line together as the kids are jumping into the, the car and, you know, talking to a seven-year-old in the back uh, car seat about uh, his or her uh, day in, in elementary school and, and seeing the, the, the retired player, client, friend, just thriving after the applause stops after the game has, yeah. has left their lives to some extent. And that to me is just an amazing, amazing feeling. Well, gentlemen, I have to say, this has been one of the more illuminating shows that I've ever had the chance to be a part of because it gives you such a peek behind, you know, the, the, the flash and the pizzazz of the big contract. Like you said, Frank earlier, it's, it's, it's not a $60 million contract necessarily. Um, and so, uh, I, Frank, I want to thank you again, Frank Zeka. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining us on the show. I appreciate yeah. it. It was a blast. Yeah, Frank, about. you do such an amazing job with players, Frank, and it's such a privilege to be working with you for, for all these years. And, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your expertise and some of your stories with everybody. Awesome. Happy to do it anytime guys.